Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 79 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode, we have a pretty interesting one. We are heading back to one of my favorite topics. Today, we are talking about possession. But Grumbler, haven't we talked about everyone who's been possessed? No, we haven't even barely, we haven't even scratched the surface on the amount of people that have been possessed. So today's episode, we are going to do this possession episode on a gal named Emma Schmidt, or better known as Anna Eklund. Grumbler, who's Anna Eklund or Emma Schmidt? Yo, I don't know. That's why we're going to do the episode so we can find out who this is. So let's go ahead and get into this episode. Emma Schmidt, or better known as an AKA Anna Eklund, was born in Milwaukee on March, on March 23rd, 1882, and raised in a Catholic household in Marathon, Wisconsin. According to Wisconsin's birth certificates, both of Schmidt's parents were German immigrants. Some sources contradict the narrative that she was raised in Marathon, Wisconsin. The unpublished Bunz manuscript states Reisinger exercised Schmidt in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the Bunz manuscript states that Emma Schmidt, known as Mary X, met Reisinger in New York when Emma Schmidt was 16, around 1898. So right out the gate, I mean, we, we have something that's already confusing the, 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 the people who are reading this and trying to figure this out. Now, was she born here? Was she born there? I mean, was it over here? Was it over there? Where, where was it? Where was Emma Schmidt or Anna Eklund born and raised? For, for, this, for this narrative, we are going to stick that she was born in Milwaukee and raised in a Catholic household in Wisconsin. I mean, that's, that's most of the information and pretty much the entire information of all the articles that I found when I was going through uh, getting, getting all this information. So we're going to stick that she was, she was raised in Wisconsin. Deal? Deal. Okay. An article in the Des Moines Register from September 23rd, 1928 stated, quote, relatives living near here are thought to have prevailed upon the Reverend Joseph Steiger, pastor of St. Joseph's Church, to bring the woman to Erling from an eastern city for the ritual, end quote, which suggests Emma Schmidt was from the U.S. East Coast and not Wisconsin. All right, we're, we're, like I said, we're just going to say that she's from Wisconsin. That's what the better half of the most of the information points out to was that uh, Anna Eklund was from Wisconsin. So Anna grew up in Marathon, Wisconsin, and her parents were German immigrants. Eklund's father, Jacob, had a reputation as an alcoholic and a womanizer. He was also against the Catholic Church, but because Eklund's mother was Catholic, Eklund grew up in the Catholic Church. So, you know, I, I don't really want to assume or, ins- or insinuate, but Catholicism has some pretty deep, dark stigma behind them. I mean, it seems like majority of the people that we have done the possessions on have been devout Catholics. I mean, I'm sure I've done maybe one that wasn't really a Catholic. However, they were somewhat involved in religion. But it seems to me that I, I don't, again, I don't want to point fingers for all of my, my listeners who are Catholics. But it seems like Catholicism is like a magnet for demon possessions. And now again, I'm not insinuating or factually stating. I'm just giving my unprofessional 
opinion that Catholicism specifically happens to draw evil and demonic possessions towards their followers. Now, if you disagree with me, please let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, Graveyard Grumbler Podcast on Instagram and Podbean. Just send me a message. I'm more than happy to, to listen, to read it and answer you back. Trust me, I do interact with everyone who messages me. I don't, I don't, do, I don't just ignore messages unless it's something ridiculous that, that is just rude and, and ignorant. Then I just won't respond to you because just, I'm just not going to waste my time. But for the most part, if you want to engage on what's going on with any sort of podcast questions or interest, just message me and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation. No problem. So let, how does she get possessed again? So this episode was really difficult for me to find a whole, a whole ton of information. So the information that I did find was kind of straight to the point and, and kind of controversial, not, not controversial for the fact that, oh my gosh, what was said is controversial, but because of the statements and the witnesses and the, the, the records that were kept during that time. Now, I wish I could really tell you that I found every single bit of record that was released during the exorcism or during this time of possession with Anna Eklund, but unfortunately, I did not come across a whole bunch of stuff that would have been beneficial to me. So let's, I mean, she, she was, so it, it's no secret. Anna Eklund was possessed. And how did the possession go? So she reportedly began exhibiting signs of possession during her adolescence, demonstrating revulsion of holy objects, disturbed thoughts, and inability to enter churches. Eklund also began to take part in unspeakable sexual acts. According to an account published in 1935, the belief source of Eklund's possession was her aunt Mina, a reputed local witch who placed spells on herbs for food she prepared. Mina was purportedly also a lover of Eklund's father. She also developed an evil mindset towards priests and vomited after taking communion. This is Anna Eklund who developed an evil mindset towards priest and vomited after taking communion. So as reports go, it, it is said that the aunt, which is Mina, actually is the one who cursed and sent this demon in to possess uh, Anna Eklund. I mean, reports again, this is, this is reportedly stating that the whole reason behind the, 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 the curse and the possession was that Anna, Anna Eklund was kind of in the way and more like more of a nuisance getting in, involved in, and it's not, not even getting involved, but just kind of being in the way of, of the relationship with the aunt and the father. Now, is that, does that warrant for someone to, to curse them and have demons possess their body? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I bet you she's the, the aunt was the one who was, who, who everyone said, Hey, don't eat her food when she comes over to the potluck because there is something evil in her eye and something's probably going to fuck you up. So do not eat her food. But unfortunately, according to reports, Mina prepared a lot of food for Anna and was forced and Anna was forced to eat whatever was given to her by the aunt. It doesn't make any sense. The Eklund family sought help from the local church. There, Anna was put under the care of Father Theopolis, Re Theopolis Reinsinger, an expert in exorcism. Father Reinsinger noticed how Anna reacted violently to religious objects, holy water, prayers, and rites in Latin. Now, this is an American gal who was born and raised in America who had no other second language other than whatever prayers were, hit, were, were, were said, I'm, I'm assuming. 
again, there wasn't a whole ton of information when I started doing, when I did this episode. So I, I, it was one of those where I kind of had to piece things here, piece there and piece there and, and find out if I'm able to get an episode long enough to, to, uh, to satisfy my listeners ears. Now, when, when you have someone who is reacting in a certain particular way, especially violently, when it comes to religious objects, holy water prayers, and rites in Latin, then, you know, 10 times out of 10, there has to be some sort of issue or some sort of concern that's going to come to mind, right? Right. I mean, so this young gal, Anna Eklund, unfortunately was the receiver of some sort of curse where the demons entered her body and just started tormenting her nonstop. And so, I mean, without, I mean, with, without any, without any concern or hesitation, they decided to, Hey, we should go take her to a priest and see if we can't get this shit exercised out of my child's body. So what happened to confirm if Anna was not faking the attacks, father Reisinger sprayed her with fake holy water. Anna did, did not react on June 18th, 1912. When Anna was 30 years old, father Reisinger performed an exorcism on her. She returned to her normal, her normal self, self and was free from demonic possession. So, I mean, I, I don't know if everyone remembered that in order for an exorcism to take place, there must, has, there, there must be undeniable evidence of possession. So, as, as the years went on from the early times when exorcisms were first regulated by the, by the Catholic Church, by the Vatican, there were certain guidelines and certain rules and certain aspects that had to be met in order for an exorcism to be performed. As the time went on, the time the the the, the guidelines and the requirements grew, you know, stricter and stricter and stricter. And one of them was that she must show a legitimacy of of a negative or violent reaction towards anything religious. And in this case. One of the things that that Anna was reacting to was the holy water, and so for Father Reisinger to try to disprove and hopefully show that Anna was faking, she used fake he used fake holy water on her, and of course, because she was possessed, Anna had no reaction towards the holy water. So on June 18th, 1912, when Anna was 30 years old, Father Reisinger performed an exorcism on her. She returned to her normal self and was free from demonic possessions. This woman has been cleansed. Ah. Or was she? The thing is that when, when, when you try to exorcise a demon and you try to free someone of of demonic torment. No one really knows how well it works because according to reports, demons are known to kind of play hide and go seek there. Even though you might think that, that it, that everything worked out the way that you wanted to work out, it actually didn't. They're just lying and hiding and waiting for the perfect opportunity to come back and say, surprise motherfucker. It's the demons motherfucker. But of course, it can last 
weeks, months, days, years, however long the demon feels is the appropriate time to lay in wait is when you think that the person has been freed and exercised appropriately. But it's not true. So let's continue. Let's check it out. Over the next years, Anna claimed she was tormented by her dead father and aunt aunt spirit. In 1928, Anna sought, sought the help of Father Renzinger again, but this time Father Renzinger wanted to perform an exorcism in secrecy. So after, over the next several years, Anna claimed her father had passed away uh, and her aunt, according to reports. Again, it was real difficult for me to find the actual information on who passed away, when they passed away, what they passed away from. I mean, with the father, we can just assume that it was alcoholism. That's not the actual cause of death. But since he was an alcoholic, then that would that's probably a safe assumption. Now, don't quote me by it. Don't say that that's exactly what he died from, because I don't know. I'm just guessing. All right. All right. So Anna said that she was actually being tormented by her father and her aunt and the spirits were tearing her up. And so because because Father Renzinger had already performed one exorcism and realized that, damn, this girl was actually legit. Let's go ahead and and believe her the second time and let's skip everything else and immediately head to to exorcism. Again, it doesn't really state if Father Renzinger went and got approval or a sent for approval by the Vatican or from the Vatican. He just said, fuck it, let's just do it in secrecy. That way no one knows and we don't draw attention. That way, if in, if everything goes south, the, the Catholic Church won't be blamed or look negative, or won't look negatively in, in the public eye. So Father Renzinger sought the help of St. Joseph Parish Priest, Father Joseph Steiger. Father Steiger agreed to perform the exorcism at his parish, St. Joseph's Parish, in Erling, Iowa, which was more private and secluded. So they're like, look, you know, let, let's take this out to somewhere where no one is going to know. We'll do it privately. We'll do it quietly. And no one's going to know. No one has to know. Nobody has to know. So on August 17th, 1928, Anna was taken to the parish. The first session of the exorcism began the next day. At the exorcism, there was Father Renzinger and Father Steiger, a couple of nuns and a housekeeper. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the housekeeper was there to clean up for any, any body fluids or blood or anything that, 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 would, uh, that would flow out and, and get all over the floor and try to keep a tidy area for an exorcism. I don't know, I don't know why a housekeeper would be there. That, that part doesn't make any sense to me. Anna arrived in Erling on August 18th, 1928. She later reported that on her arrival, she experienced a feeling of unprecedented unprecedented rage. When she arrived at the covenant, she wanted to attack the nuns and she could tell the food she had been given had been blessed. Anna refused all food and drink from the convent. Her odd behavior began to show in other ways, such as purring while she was waiting for Father Reinsinger. So now we have this gal who is already having difficulty with the, whatever demon is, is possessing and tormenting her. So now when she went over to the parish and started, now there, there was a, there was a convent, a, a convent there that on, on the parish. So there was, there was like an army of nuns. I mean, uh, up and coming nuns, experienced nuns, whatever kind of nuns you wanted. They were there according to reports. Now, Anna, she wanted, she had feelings of wanting to attack these nuns. She could also tell that the food that she was given had been blessed, so refused all food and drink, knowing that if she would eat that, it would do her more damage 
than what she's already doing. And on top of that, why would you eat blessed food anyway? I mean, whatever happened to organic, you know what I mean? That just doesn't make any sense to me. So let's, let's start the, let's, let's go ahead and start getting to the exercise and let's start relieving Anna of her demonic burden. Okay. So Reisinger's journey was not easy. He arrived at the train station and was met by Steiger who was supposed to drive them to the convent. However, the car refused to accelerate to full speed. Steiger was a little shaken, but Reisinger remained unsurprised. So according to reports, Steiger, who met Reisinger to, to, so they can complete this exorcism on this young lady. There was no issues with the car on his way over to pick up Father Reisinger. So when, when, he picked up the, when he picked up Father Reisinger and he started heading back to, to the convent, Steiger, who was driving, stated that the car refused to accelerate to full speed, meaning that something... Now, now again, there was no issues with the car on the way over to pick up Father uh, Reisinger. But on the way back to the convent, so they could start preparing for, for the exorcism of Anna Eklund, the car wouldn't go full speed, meaning delaying the trip, causing, causing a delay to actually fulfill the or, or complete the start the exorcism and relieve this, this gal of her demonic burdens. It has been claimed, he said, as I quote, this is Father Reisinger, I was not wrought up. I was not wrought up about it, about it all. <laughs> I would have been surprised if everything had gone smoothly. Difficulties will arise. They must be expected to arise. The devil will try his utmost to foil our plans. So according to, to the Father Reisinger, he stated, he states that, yo, I knew shit was going to go wrong. Just, just simply for the fact that the devil doesn't want to be beat. The devil doesn't want us to remove whatever grip he has on this young lady. So in, in his words, the devil's going to do whatever he can to prevent the completion of the exorcism. Makes sense? Makes sense, right? Right. So during the sessions, Anna was tied to an iron bed and held down by the strongest nuns in the convent. <laughs> so whenever I read this part, whenever I read that Anna was, was held down by the strongest nuns in the convent, what I automatically picture is, is Ronnie Coleman nuns just lightweight, ain't nothing but a peanut, lightweight, baby. And just just deadlifting 900 pounds and waiting for this time to to shine when when Father Redzinger says, yo, I need two of the strongest nuns to come hold down this possessed young lady. Do I have two strong nuns in this convent? And so the two strongest nuns are like, yo, I got this. You know, hey, hey, father, look over here. I bench pressed 350 pounds. You know, hey, go look at this. Ain't nothing but a peanut. I can deadlift 920 pounds. And then I eat the proteins. After I eat the proteins, I do a couple prayers. After I do a couple prayers, I go lift and eat more proteins. <laughs> then when, when I read that, that's the first thing that came to my mind was these two jacked nuns just, just eating protein and babies all day long just to get, just to continue getting jacked and yoked. It's just, just the way that those that the whoever reported this wrote that down. It was freaking hilarious. As Reisinger began speaking the rites, Anna's eyes fell shut and she appeared as if sedated. But suddenly she was able to dislodge herself from the bed and threw herself high up against a wall. Now, when there was other reports also saying that that uh, allegedly Anna Eklund also levitated off the bed a few feet. Now you know, I, I, I'm a man who 
who believes in science. I'm also a man who believes in paranormal up to a point. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that this young lady levitated and then threw herself up against, against the wall and at, at, a, at a distance. Now, we don't know how exactly the distance. We don't know how many feet it was or, or meters. We don't know any of that. What we know is that allegedly she suddenly dislodged herself from the bed and threw herself up high against a wall. Again, there was, although, there was also other reports that she had levitated after escaping the two strong nuns and in the and the in the the restraints that that were on her to also help us to keep to keep her on the bed now we don't know again how how accurate this is just these are allegedly these are first hand accounts coming from the nuns the housekeeper and the priests themselves that were witnesses to this entire event this is one of the reasons why it makes this 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 whole this whole scene or this whole exorcism such an interesting controversial thing was that these are actually firsthand accounts that were reported by the individuals that were involved in the exorcism. So during the exorcism, Anna dislodged herself from the bed, floated in the air and landed high above the room's door. Anna also began howling very loudly like a wild beast. So during the exorcism, she was able to again dislodge herself. She floated in the air and landed high above the bedroom, the room's door. She also began howling very loudly like a wild beast. I don't know what kind of wild beast they're talking about. I don't know many wild beasts that were that 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 are able to howl other than wolves and coyotes and you know things like that. However, what what interests me the most is this was back in the 1920s. So obviously people didn't readily have any any sort of cameras recorded or any evidence of any Oh my gosh, hold on. This was 1928. <laughs> so obviously they were unable to get visual evidence like using camcorders and obviously they didn't have little handhelds at their disposal however again these are first-hand accounts so how much of it do we actually believe how much of it was fabricated and how much of it was actually telephone throughout the the entire years you know what i mean now for those of you who don't know what i mean when i mean when i say telephone it's when you're told one thing and over the course of the people that that it was the information was transferred to or was given to the the, the name of the or the the origin of the story and the facts of the story start changing and changing and changing and changing. So, with this, was she floating or did she just j- jump herself out of her bed from the convulsions and the fit and the rage to where she lifted herself up off the bed using the momentum of the of the springs to launch her up out of bed a few feet and then fall back down. When, when, when emotions are high and it's a high-stress situation, a lot of things that you think you saw, you don't really see. But because of the high stress that's going on, you kind of build a narrative that fits right and makes sense in your head. Again, that's just my belief. I don't know if what I said is accurate, but you know, I, I don't know. It's just really difficult for me to believe that... And Eklund floated out of bed and then landed high above the room's door. Throughout the three sessions of exorcism, Anna Eklund def- defecated and vomited massively, screamed, hissed like a clat, <laughs> hissed like a cat, and suffered physical distortions. 
her skin sizzled and burnt when holy water touched it. Now, this is a common thing where the body the body distorts and it breaks bones and it bends certain ways and it cracks this, it cracks one way. It's it's something where the devil shows the power and the lack of pain. Although I read that when people were were possessed by the demons, that they also felt everything that was going on in their body. But one common thing is is the distortion and disfigurement of people's bodies and or people's limbs. You know what I mean? You know how they like bend back and they just crack and their legs end up cracked and next to their next to their ear. It, it it's 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 some sort of weird power that demons love doing with their with their vessels with their possessed people. It doesn't make any sense. So when holy water was touched your skin, it burnt and sizzled. When when the holy water touched your skin, the fucking thing sizzled on her. But another crazy thing is defecating and vomiting massively. How was she able to have that much? You know, quote massive vomit and defecating episodes. When, according to reports, she hardly ever ate because of the, the food being blessed. So she didn't want to put that blessed food inside of her body. Again, this is one of the reasons why, why exorcism or possessions and exorcisms are so controversial, but so interesting at the same time. It's like, how much of it is actually real possession and how much of it is actually mental health issues? You know, again, a lot of the times, you know, there's a great saying that my brother has told me over and over and over and over. People don't, you don't know you're crazy. People, hold on, I fucked it all up. Let me rephrase that. Rewind. People who are crazy don't know they are crazy. That's one of the things my brother has told me when we've talked about mental health issues and and possessions and everything over and over. That's one of the, one of his go-to sayings right there. You know, you don't, people who are crazy don't know they are crazy. Could it be that Anna Eklund was suffering from sort of mental health issues? 100%. Could it be possible that Father Reisinger was was suffering from mental health issues? 100%. Now, when someone is convinced, when someone is told over and over and over that, hey, you're a duck, eventually you're going to start to quack. You know what I mean? So in this case, when that's being, she's possessed, she's possessed, she's possessed, the people around him or who or who were chosen to assist don't really have a choice but to believe that they that that this individual is possessed now am i am i taking credit away from whatever issue has happened absolutely not i'm just trying to give both sides of the coin here the skeptical and the non-skeptical you know what i mean that, that, that that's just one of those things where was she really possessed there's all the clear signs. She, her, her skin reacted negatively when holy water was put on it. She refused to eat food knowing that it had been blessed. When Father Reisinger did put normal water on her skin, claiming that it was holy water, the, she, didn't ha- she had no reaction. She had violent thoughts of wanting to attack nuns. These are all clear-cut, 100%, no without a doubt, symptoms and 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 uh, reasons for an individual to be possessed. This is the, this is what, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the, the Vatican will approve this shit, but yet no one knows. So when father Reisinger demanded to know who was possessing her, he was told many by Anna Eklund. The demon claimed to be, all right, let's try to get through these names. The demon claimed to be Bill's bub, Judas Iscariot, Anna's father and Anna's aunt Mina. See, you no, know, when it comes to to the aunt and the father, what I want to know is that was that legitimately the the, the demonic negative 
spirits or or ghosts or whatever it was haunting Anna? Or was it more demons disguising themselves as someone familiar to Anna and using those names in order for them to gain access to Anna's body? You know, it, it just seems to me that if, if they weren't demons themselves to begin with, how would they be able to become demons in the afterlife and then possess Anna Eklund? The other demons that she named off uh, were 100% demon names. I mean, those were legitimate ones that you can read about just by pulling up their names. It's crazy. Anna began to scream, and when commanded by the priest to stop, she responded in various languages. She, she spoke in English, German, and claiming to be multiple entities, including Beelzebub, Judas, as well as Anna's father and Aunt Mina. Again, how do we know that, that Anna's father and Aunt Mina were actually, were, were actually demonic entities or were actually them? Excuse me. How do we know that, that the father and the aunt were actually the father and the aunt and not demonic entities or demonic possessions or de- demons that were, that were just disguising themselves as the father and as, as the aunt? in order to to torment her and fuck her up more. You know what I mean? This is like, this is like a battle royale that's happening inside of Anna Eklund. And it, it's one, two, three, four, five. What is it? Five against one. And Anna Eklund is losing the battle right now. So she spoke in various languages. She also spoke in English and German. According to reports, Anna only knew English. She didn't. She wasn't really fluent and really wasn't really comfortable speaking German. But that wasn't the only one in the language that she spoke. Allegedly, she also spoke Latin, which to a lot of people, Latin isn't really a big popular language for people to know anymore. So why speak it? Huh. Again, this is one of the reasons why I chose this. It just seems like there's a lot of holes. At the same time, the holes are kind of unfillable for the fact that a lot of the shit makes sense. Let's continue. Anna experienced horrific symptoms, vomiting bile and tobacco-infused liquid. Her body distorted through expansion and contraction, and she screamed at the people present, telling them information that she could not know in various voices. That is another clear sign and symptom, and (laughs) for sure, way of showing that someone is possessed is when they know secrets about an individual that nobody else knows that the I mean, like deep, dark secrets about people that only one, maybe two people actually know. So when someone that you've never met is able to share the secret or to know the secret that, that you're talking about, that is one of the ways that the demons have been working is that now they are starting to use the information that that's sacred to you or special to you, but they know this kind of stuff. So she started vomiting bile and tobacco-infused liquid. That's pretty fucking disgusting. Her body distorted through expansion and contraction. That means her bones and her body were bending in unnatural ways, cracking and snapping in ways that were very painful and horrific for the onlookers to see. And what I mean, in my opinion, what would make it even worse was that you're not able to help her. What can you do to keep her from doing that? According to reports for the, for the people who are possessed, that their their strength quadruples and, and, and just becomes massive strength. Just, it's just crazy to me. 
Iscariot was there to lead Anna to commit suicide. Anna's father sought revenge because Anna had refused a sexual relationship with him when he was alive. And Mina claimed she had placed a curse on Anna with the help of Anna's father. According to reports, and the way that Anna became that the way Anna was possessed, again, was that the father forced Anna to eat whatever the aunt made her to eat or, or made for her to eat. And according to reports, that because Mina was a witch, she she conjured up a bunch of shit for, for Anna to eat, which the father forced, causing her to be possessed and taken over by these demons. My question is, if, if you were that hard up on getting rid of her, why not just fucking get rid of her? Why not just drop her off somewhere where where no one would find her? I mean, this was 1928, 1930. That was very easy to do back in that time. But instead, you're going to you're, you're going to possess her or you're going to curse her and then risk. See, here, here, here's here's my downfall with that. Is that if you're gonna if you're gonna possess someone, you're gonna curse someone. Why? Oh, why would you do that, knowing the capability and the power that the demons have to where they're potentially gonna come after the individual that cursed them to be to begin with? Again, the, there is no favoritism when it comes to demon possession. You're, if you're gonna get fucked up, you're gonna get fucked up during the exorcism. Father Steiger claimed the demon threatened him to withdraw permission for the exorcism. A few days later after the claim, Father Steiger crashed his car into the railing of the bridge, but he managed to get out of the car alive. So during the exorcism, this demon, one of the demons claimed that he was going to threaten, he not claim, but the demon threatened Father Steiger, said, yo, you need to stop this possession assistance or I'm going to tear you up. The father said, yeah, whatever, bring it home, boy. Orphans, and according to reports, Father Steiger crashed his car into the railing of a bridge. The car fell over the bridge, but the father was Father Steiger was managed to get out of the car and and escape with his life. Again, I am I am both skeptical and non skeptical when it comes to certain things. However, the co- the the coincidence of someone crashing a car into a railing a bridge railing and the car falling over the the, the the side of the of the bridge is a little too creepy of a coincidence for me to be comfortable with i just don't see how how that wouldn't kind of not even kind of i don't see how that wouldn't solidify that this possession was legitimate the entire time i i mean the demon threatened the, the Father Steiger. Father Steiger took off and crashed into a bridge. Again, according to reports, Father Steiger hardly ever drove and never had any accidents. But on this occasion, after he was threatened by the demon, he ran into the bridge railing with the car going over the, over the edge. But he, was, he managed to escape with his life. I don't know. I just, I, I, it's kind of creepy for me not to believe that that this possession might have been real. It's just, it's just kind of it's kind of strange to me. Even Steiger grew increasingly worried at this and suggested the exorcism be moved. However, it was allowed to be continued, and at 9 p.m. on December 23rd, Anna finally leapt up and claimed to have been freed from a terrible burden. Anna was able to go back to her life as a devout Catholic. She was finally free. 
Again, now this was one of the reasons why this this whole case and this whole exorcism was controversial was that literally on December 23rd, two days before before Christmas, Anna literally, uh, again, this is according to, to eyewitnesses, Anna literally leapt out of bed claiming to have been freed from a terrible burden, meaning that she was no longer possessed. The, the, the father, father Steiger and father, was it, what are those two names? Father, father Steiger and father Resinger. They both, they both tried different things to see if, if the exorcism had taken, meaning that they, you know, holy water brought, taken her to church, but she was finally freed and lived the rest of her life as a devout Catholic. I don't know how accurate and how true that is to believe. I don't know how believable how believable that is in my head. It's just weird to me that after three days of torment and torture from an exorcism, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she's going to hop out of bed like, like the grandpa in Willy Wonka and whoopity-woo-woo say I'm free? Mm. I, I just... I, this one's a tough one for me, coach. Let me know what you believe. Graveyard Grumbler at mail.com, Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Instagram and Podbean. Shoot me a message or an email. Let me know. What do you think? I mean, do a little bit of, of, of uh, research on, on just, just, just Google or Wikipedia, Anna Eklund, and it'll give you a brief information. Read that over. Let me know what you think. Was, and was, uh, was Eklund legitimately possessed or was this a mental health, a severe mental health issue that was, not resolved because of a lack of understanding of mental health. You know, I, I, I don't, uh, I mean, it, it's been, it's been shown and proven that, that several, several psychotic patients have a belief that they are possessed. Now, if, is the possession true? Absolutely not. But because of their schizophrenic way of thinking and the mindset that they are, that they're in, they legitimately believe that they are fully possessed. But why would you put yourself through that much torture, being restrained, being being kept awake, and doing all this other stuff for days and days and days and days and days? It just it, that doesn't make any sense to me. But again, if you have no idea what's going on, then whatever is happening seems legit and realistic, right? Right. So was the was the exorcism successful? Was it was it a successful exorcism? The exorcism was meant to remain a secret, but Reverend Carl Vogel gathered eyewitness accounts of the exorcism and published his pamphlet, Begone Satan. It soon attracted media attention, including Time magazine. So Homeboy wanted some, some recognition and said, yo, check this out. I got the 411, and this is what I got. Oh, I tell you. Still to this day, the validity, the, the validity of the account is debated. Eyewitnesses claim that it is true, whilst others insist that Anna was a victim of mental illness. Whatever the truth, the story of Anna is a truly harrowing tale of exorcism and the nature of evil. This has been debated since it, since it happened back in the 1930s and 1940s when it was finally over. I believe it was 1930. I, I don't know the exact date. I have it written down here. But... What, how much, how much mental, how much did mental illness pay, play a part, play a part in it? And how much was a legitimate possession? Again, that no one really knows, especially back in the 1920s. It's one of those deals that, it's just one of those deals that no one really knows. It just, it just no one truly, truly knows. 
Anna Eklund recalled having visions of horrible battles between spirits during the exorcism. After the three sessions, she was very weak and heavily malnourished. Anna went on to lead a quiet life. She later died at the age of 59 on July 23, 1941. So Anna Eklund, according to after, after several reports and several days and months, and when she was given interviews and, and asked to recollect everything that happened, she said that she remembered having visions of horrible battles between spirits during the exorcism. So, because again, it, it, one of the big things where where exorcism is or possession is proven is that usually the victims have no nourishment, not not for the fact that they just they're just not able to eat. They're not hungry. the The demon is feeding off of their body, so a lot of them don't even survive the the entire exorcism just because of the demon that's leeching off of all their nutrients and just does not allow them to eat. That happened to the German gal. Uh, I can't, I can't think of the German gal's name. The other gal that was, that was possessed, uh, the possession of Annalise Michelle. She, uh, she died of, of malnutrition. She was not able to keep down or eat anything uh, to, to help her with the fight. So she died, unfortunately, but this gal, Anna Eklund says that she recalls having horrible battles between spirits of, during the exorcism. And after the three sessions, she was very weak and heavily malnourished. She was able to be renourished, and everything was perfectly fine and okay. You know, this is one of the reasons why it was such a controversy, controversial issue. You know, how true was it? How true wasn't it? Mm. Graveyard Gunner's final wrap. Again, I told you that this episode wasn't going to be very, very long. I, I had a difficult time finding a lot of information regarding this this whole possession, but it caught my eye. I wanted to do one on possession. So here we are. So Graveyard Grumbler final wrap. So with this, the, this next few things that I'm going to read about, these are uh, Vade Santana, Sa- Satana, which was written by Reverend Karl Vogel in German and then translated into English in 1935. You can pick up the book or the, the, the pamphlet throughout on Amazon, I believe. I think that's where I, I saw it was available. So these were actually written excerpts coming from the eyewitnesses that were involved with the exorcism of Anna Eklund. So, here we go. As the days pass, Anna's body swells and deforms more and more. At one point, it is so disfigured that her body has become a bloated, shapeless mass, and nuns turn away from her bed, fearing she may explode. So, according to reports, the, the stuff that I was able to find here and there was that her body swelled up to twice the size that it had originally that it originally was. Again. We are talking about a gal who was very malnourished and she had she hadn't eaten the entire time that she was there. Again, she there was force-fed water just to keep her alive, but the food she was not able to eat or keep down. So in order for a body to swell and bloat to about I mean about two times the the, the original shape, that is a significant size difference. I mean, it was it was so significant that the nuns turned away from the bed, fearing that Anna may explode. That's that's just some kind of things right there that you don't really want to think too much about. I mean, what would have happened if she legitimately exploded? Ew, fucking ew. That's what it is. Then Anna becomes increasingly heavy. She becomes rigid and heavy as concrete, and her weight bends the bed rail again. This is a gal who was literally about 100 pounds or less. And according to reports, according to eyewitnesses, that she became very rigid and heavy as concrete. 
and her weight bends the bed rails. Well, that's that's a significant amount of weight, knowing, especially from back then, knowing that that the rails and everything were were made pretty much out of solid, out of solid metal versus the wrought iron and hollow metals that we have now, the little sheet uh, sheet metal that that's used for bed railing now. I mean, if you were there personally watching this and you saw that the bed rails were were bending because of the increased mass and the increased weight of this of of Anna Eklund, this small little friend gal who was tied down, is bending bed rails. What do you do? I mean, you see this, you don't believe it, you do believe it. I, I don't know. The exorcism lasted 23 days in total, but it is performed on three different occasions from August to December 1928 to allow the body of the girl and the sisters to recuperate. So all in all, this was a, this was the, the whole from beginning in was a 23 day ordeal. Lasting from August to December, however, it was broken up in several different pieces and parts in over three actual exorcism events in order to give Anna Eklund and the nuns to recuperate. I mean, you're exhausted. You're sitting there holding down. You're, you're not eating or drinking. You're, you're stressed out. High stress situation. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's 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 go ahead and kick into the graveyard grumbler final wrap here. It's kind of difficult for me to actually fully believe that the that the possession of Anna Eklund was a real thing. Is it creepy? One hundred percent creepy. I mean, especially the the accounts of the nuns' fear of the of the victim's body, the possibility of it exploding from the the sheer or just from bloating. I mean that that that's that's a huge concern for for something. Can you imagine if the body blew up though? Ugh. Another thing was the the different languages when Anna only spoke one. Clearly identifying multiple demons. Although her being a devout Catholic before being possessed makes sense why she knew the names of several different demons. Now, I'm not taking away that she might actually have been possessed, but what I am stating is that what was the reality of it? You know, yes, I understand that back then in 1920s, there's a lot of things confused. There's a lot of things where people didn't understand. So a lot of things might have been confused for possession, although it clearly, clearly could have been simply mental illness. Again, a great thing that my a great quote that my brother always tells me is crazy people don't know they're crazy. And this might have been one of those ordeals. It is proven that people with mental illness who are psychotic have an obsession. They're hyper-religious, knowing and and understanding everything real that's religious based. Although there's no legitimate verification of possession. Now Confirming who someone who is possessed is really difficult to do. Again, with all the with all the underground underlying mental illness that's happening and everything that's going around, how can you legitimately diagnose? I mean, I don't even know you can diagnose that, but I, I mean, can you legitimately say that someone is possessed? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence with this one. A lot of the a lot of the things that were written, especially from the journals of the eyewitnesses saying that her body turned, became heavy and rigid, and she bent the, the bed rails. That, that's, that's pretty fucking creepy. Knowing that she also was disfigured, she, she was able to disfigure herself. 
Now, many people just don't dif- disfigure themselves just because they want to. It's forced. It's forced, and, and it, it, it's un, it's unwilling. I just, I don't know. I mean, if you have, if you have any, I, I want to know everyone's thoughts and concerns. Graveyard Grumbler at mail.com, Graveyard Grumbler podcast, whatever you want to hit me up on, just let me know, and we will. Uh, I, I, I will have more than I'll be more than happy to have a full discussion with you. I just, I'm just having a hard time fully believing this, but at the same time, I kind of believe it. You know, it's I, it's just one of those things. But we're we're gonna go ahead and wrap this episode. There's not much more that I can talk about on the exorcism of Anna Eklund. Unfortunately, I don't have any audio that I can put at the end of this episode. I looked and looked and looked and looked, and there was zero audio evidence from the actual exorcism. Hopefully, I can find something later on. But the best I had I could do was the the Valles Santana, which was written by Carl Vogel. That that's the, the exact quotes were were in the final rap. So. Other than that, as far as announcements, I really don't have any announcements. Uh, Patreon still going on. If you're interested in that, you get. Uh, I'm putting out two spooky stories. I'm in the process of of uh, getting some merchandise in for all of my Patreon. You get forever discounts on the on the on the uh, the merchandise. First come, first served for Patreon as well. And let me see here. That's pretty much it. I appreciate everyone from all over. All over the world. Oh, oh! Special shout out to Uganda. Hey, thank you very much for putting me in the top twenty in your in your country for for my podcast. I just got the reviews for that through an email the other day, and I, I was thank you very much. I mean, I was, it was a it was an awesome it was an awesome 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 surprise that I was able to see that. So, thank you very very much for for putting me in the top twenty. In the, I think I was twenty six to be honest with you, and that is. That is that is beyond awesome for me. It's a huge honor for me to place that high in, in in a country that I'm not even from. Thank you very much. So other than that, there's not many more announcements. I appreciate everybody. I really do. Thank you for for your your support. Please continue to support the show. Uh, spread the word from everybody or for everybody. Uh, share my podcast. Go on to Apple Music or Apple Podcast and leave a review. Just tell me what you think. Tell me what I can do different, what I can change. If you have any episode suggestions, feel free to shoot them to me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast.